0: Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from MedThORITY. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss All Things Urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer.
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome back to your UCARE podcast, All Things Urticaria. My name is Marcus, Marcus Maurer, and I'm joining you from Berlin. And I'm very happy to join... Uh, you together with Vicky, Vicky from the UK in Athens. Hello, Kalimera, Vicky. how are you?
0: <laughs> Hello, I'm very, I'm very fine. I'm very happy to participate in this podcast. Uh, very honored. Thank you very much for the invitation. Happy to discuss with you whatever you want to discuss during well, the next 15
1: minutes or so. Well, Vicky, I had in mind something that is close to your heart. So let's talk about children with urticaria. Maybe you can start by uh, briefly introducing yourself. Yeah. Uh, you, you Care is very active when it comes to pediatric chronic urticaria. Where are you? What do you do? And how did you get to treat chronic spontaneous and inducible urticaria in children?
0: Okay, so my name is Vicky Xepapadaki. The surname is really difficult to pronounce. I'm an associate professor in pediatrics and allergology. And I work in the allergy department in the second pediatric clinic in the University of Athens. Um, well, my department, our department, is the largest department uh, in Greece for referral of children with allergic diseases. So we have more than five to 6,000 um, visits every year. Of course, this has been minimized a little bit because of the COVID pandemic during the last two years. So I'm a clinician and I'm very much involved in research. My center, who is, whose head is Nikos Papadopoulos, is very much involved in several European and national funded programs. The truth is that my first love was asthma and is asthma. Mm-hmm. However, after uh, we, we treat children with urticaria for several years now, either acute or chronic urticaria. But the truth is that um, um, uh, one of my participations in in one of the UKR meetings, something like five years now, was, you know, the kickoff for starting being more involved and, you know, having close to my heart children with chronic urticaria. So this is why we have initiated all the process in becoming one of the UKR certified centers. And I'm very happy to participate in these projects.
1: No, it's super to have you on board. And I do think we need an increased focus in children with urticaria. But uh, let's start with some basic questions. Uh, We have some recent data that the prevalence in chronic of chronic urticaria in children is as high as in adults. So about one in 100 across the different age groups. Is that what you see in your practice as
0: well? Well, yes, I think this is exactly what we see. Um, of course it might this I would over I would say probably that 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 prevalence might be a little bit higher, but we are a referral centre. So it's not really too objective to say that we see more kids. Unfortunately, we don't really have data coming from my country, but I think the feeling is that one every hundred kids do have at some times in their lives, and mostly school-aged children and adolescents, not so often in children less than five years of age, Mm -hmm. an episode of chronic urticaria.
1: Yeah, uh, that's very interesting because I think for a long time we underestimated how frequent chronic urticaria is in children. And do we actually know how chronic urticaria, let's say chronic spontaneous urticaria, compares when we look at children versus adults uh, let's say in terms of the underlying cause the prevalence of angioedema the duration the severity what do we what do we know Vicky
0: so um let's start from the clinical appearance I think it's more or less the same we do need the hives the presence of the hives well the cutoff you know limit was set on six weeks I don't know if this is you know something you might be revised later on, uh, but let's take that. So it's either uh, presenting on an everyday basis, hives, or, you know, having a small intervals free of symptoms, either because they're taking the medication or because they don't really appear. So in terms of clinical appearances, I think it's the same. We don't see too many kids with adioendima as it is stated in adults. So I would say probably that something like 20% of the children, or even less, uh, present with agio But the the location is still the same, Uh, more on the face, which is a little bit disturbing, I would say more for the parents than for their children, and um, less often in the genitalia area and in the extremities. Um, But agio you know, is like a danger sign. It makes parents very anxious, and this is why they come to the doctor.
1: understand.
0: So um, I think that uh, the data that you uh, published a couple of months ago, deriving from a health database system, is really more accurate because um, the setting of the health system in my country is based mostly on pediatricians. So we might lose a lot of cases from uh, children having urticaria, or there are many you know, private doctors um, seeing children, allergologists seeing children with chronic urticaria. So having the data, and I thought that, that was a wonderful idea from the health system where we stayed with them uh, and anyway, the ICD-10, if they have urticaria, is um, a very a close to accurate to the reality to see what the real prevalence is.
1: Yeah. very interesting Um, before we come to treatment which is obviously on our listeners mind let's talk about the diagnostic approach a little bit the new guidelines just came out and uh, they still recommend to keep diagnosis very small and to focus on treatment but uh, in my country I still see overdiagnosing too many tests especially allergy tests are being done in chronic spontaneous urticaria in children. what's your take Vicky?
0: Well, uh, to tell you the truth this is how the parents come to the to the office either in the hospital or the private office please tell me what is causing this disease. And uh, of course, this is why well, a lot of pediatricians or uh, specific or specialized doctors do the test just to prove that there is no really allergy in there. But I think this should be abandoned. On the other hand, um, the high prevalence of some of the diseases, like the uh, thyroid, you know, positive thyroid antibodies. Well, I think it's. uh, the, the, this kind of test is, it would be nice to be included in the basic laboratory test that we do as an initial screening, but just to be clear that we are not really sure that this is a causal effect, but more of a coincidence effect, probably. But it gives you an idea of the underlying pathogenetic mechanism. So I think that it would be nice to be included in there.
1: Yes. And and actually, Vicky, that's exactly the reason why we recommend to do that now with the new update of the Mm -hmm. guideline to look at IgG anti-TPO, to look at IgE also because if IgE is low and IgG anti-TPO is high, that points to autoimmune chronic spontaneous care. So it's not so much that we are trying to identify the underlying cause that will allow us to cure the disease, which is what parents expect, obviously. It's more to give us an idea of, well, what do we expect from treatment, which is what we'll be talking about in a minute. Um, But uh, do you see in children with urticaria thyroid comorbidity, uh, autoimmunity?
0: Yeah, very often. I think, well, not uh, not really the disease, but just the presence of autoantibodies. And especially in more severe cases, I think we have this the the impression that um, this is this is very often the case that we yeah. see positive antibodies. Yeah. Um, of course, it is. You know, uh, I can't, um, something different uh, compared to the adults, according to the literature, I don't have our data to, to tell you, that the presence of these IgG antibodies uh, doesn't really predict the persistence of the disease. So this is good for the children. Yes. Um, and the other thing that I, I'm really puzzled is that although there is no really uh, an effect and... Um, there's no causal effect with viral infections, which are very often in children. I still have a question mark whether these infections are you know, main triggers in uh, uh, susceptible children in causing the disease. And I think this is an area that we haven't explored yet. I saw with very interest the data from your um, uh, from your prevalence study that uh, upper respiratory infections are very often in the children having chronic urticaria. So to my mind, I think this is an unexplored area, although I understand that if, if the viral infection goes away, the urticaria doesn't go away, Correct. but there must be a connection there.
1: Absolutely. Well, and there are many unanswered questions when it comes to urticaria and maybe even more Um, when it comes to urticaria and children but one thing we know for sure is we should treat these patients these young patients just like we should treat the older ones so let's talk about treatment a little bit and i know that you are a big fan of the use of non-sedating antihistamines as first-line treatment Um, what is your uh, what is your take on this how do you start treatment how do you optimize treatment in patients who as of now are untreated
0: yeah well, uh, we don't have too many untreated patients. We have many treated patients, but uh, still the first-line uh, antihistamines are quite often used. I would say more than 10%, probably 20% of the children, and you know the smaller they are, the most often they take the first-generation antihistamines. But we are really struggling to change all this scenario. So we, we start as the guidelines state, with the second-generation antihistamines, And I think in pediatrics, we are really lucky because in most of the cases, this work. um, It might need to double the dose, but if we double the dose, and I think this is quite similar with uh, what is stated in the the studies, most of the children do get better. Um, So they might have Some hives, but not too many each. So this is what is disturbing for the children. But they do respond quite well. Um, In specific cases where we try to triple the dose or, you know, fourfold the dose, I don't think we've seen such a remarkable effect as we did with doubling the doses. And uh, the truth is that we have side effects with most of the second generation antihistamines you know on dizziness or uh, difficult to wake up in the morning mm-hmm. um, and i think the most important in pediatrics is that we don't have data from the studies in children less than 12 years of age um, there's only i think one study that has been done in children with chronic urticaria chronic mm-hmm. spontaneous urticaria and um, there are no other efficacy studies that was with rupatadine and Against placebo, but no other studies for no other antihistamine. So um, I think this is what makes us a little bit uncomfortable with yes. pediatric patients.
1: Yes, no, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, this is a big problem in pediatrics across many diseases, but uh, um, maybe especially in chronic urticaria. Vicky, I think I know that study that you're referring to because I was part of it uh, and uh, Rupatadin, you mentioned was uh, uh, the drug that was tested in this clinical trial and uh, came out as very effective and very Mm -hmm. well tolerated. Um, Is that uh, an antihistamine that uh, should be preferred for children or uh, what's your take on this?
0: Well, yes. So, if you, if you see the data, the, the, I think these this data are very clear, and I'm sure that the anti-path effect that they have um, adds to the, um, you know, to the effectiveness of the of the drug. It has been clearly stated there that shown there, that the effect that rupatadin has on the on the itch and the quality of life is um, significantly better than that was tested in this uh, study. Unfortunately, we don't have other data for any other, even the new antihistamine bilastine. We have safety data, but we don't have efficacy data. And uh, according to my clinical practice, yes, I've seen a quite significant effect without having, you know, too many adverse effects. So yes, I would say that there are some antihistamines that might work better than others.
1: I I do hear from what you say, Vicky, that this is encouragement to really do clinical trials in the pediatric yeah. population to increase the knowledge and confidence uh, in the use of uh, these modern antihistamines. W- w- what, what about children where you have tried your favorite antihistamine um, but to no avail? Do you use zomalizumab in children? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, in children, you know, it is licensed in children more than 12 years of age. I don't really understand why there haven't been, you know, a study. There hasn't been a study in children 6 to 11 to 12 years at least because uh, it is licensed in asthma. We have a very good experience in children with asthma, uh, six years and older, and it would be nice to have data on that. There are now some case series and some case reports showing that uh, homalizumab works even in younger ages, but these are very small numbers. Uh, So whenever we used anti-Ig, we had um, a significant effect. Mm-hmm. well in most of the children i could i could count only two children but not with chronic spontaneous urticaria with inducible urticaria uh, called urticaria um, in specific that have not responded well they are not unresponsive but they were partially responders to anti-ig but generally it works okay the problem is that we don't have this drug for younger ages and to my country, we cannot really prescribe that because it is not licensed for these children. So this is a huge gap.
1: I understand. And it brings us back to the importance of really looking at good antihistamine treatment to go up in the dose where the standard dose doesn't work. in the guideline, we say um, treat the disease until it is gone. And that also uh, is so for children. Now. Um, we are in the fortunate situation that many children with good antihistamine treatment come to complete response. We also know that there is spontaneous remission in children, just like uh, as there is in adults. What is your, um, let's say, protocol? in children who have complete response and uh, who are now on antihistamine treatment, no wheels, no antioidema, no itch, all is good. When do you stop and how do you stop the antihistamine?
0: Okay, it should take at least four weeks to be free of symptoms uh, to say that not we will stop the antihistamine, but usually what we do is lower the dose of antihistamine Mm. to see what happens. Unfortunately, this is the step where, you know, doctors and parents are a little bit discouraged because they're disappointed because we have a relapse of the symptoms. So we have to go back there. Um, And um, it seems that it takes quite a while to stop uh, the antihistamine and that might take several months. you know, uh, another thing that I was that, that comes is uh, in school-age children is that there are exacerbations. This is why I'm am going back to the viral thing when they do get a viral infection. So this is a I think a very clear picture. I don't know yet if if it is the cause, but something that makes the mast cells you know response um, easier. Mm-hmm. So it usually takes several months they might come into this summer or the next summer in order to stop the antihistamine. So it's not really easy to go on and off. So we do it very, uh, you know, in steps. And usually these steps is four weeks time.
1: Yeah, that's, that's good advice, Vicky, and uh, it really is a good thing that these modern antihistamines are so safe, uh, good for long-term treatment. So I'd, I'd rather see the kid uh, take an antihistamine that is not needed than not get the antihistamine that is required to control the disease. Vicky, I'm looking at the time here. It is uh, <laughs> amazing. It just flies, but uh, are there any other tips and tricks that you have from your... Um, extensive practice in children with urticaria that you would like to share?
0: Well, you know, treating the parents along with the children, I think it's it's really important. The good thing is because parents are so, this anxiety component is something we can take advantage, not to terrify them, but just to explain that this will take a long time. Because I thought in in the beginning, something like 10 years ago, we used to say, okay, no worries, it will go away in one or two months' time. So we are now very, very cautious to say that, okay, this might last for several months, so be patient and you know, don't start having diets that you don't really need and start looking for things that might you know, harm your children because usually there's nothing from the environment of what the children eat or, or what the children does.
1: Thank you so much, Vicky. I mean, this is also what we do in our adult patients. We need to let them know what we know and bring confidence to them that treatment is good and that eventually spontaneous remission will occur, but that we really want to protect our patients, children and adults, from the signs and symptoms until that happens. Vicky, I'm not going to let you go without one last question. Imagine the following. You get to put together a team, let's say five researchers, uh, and they have almost unlimited resources to answer one question, one question uh, from the many questions that we talked about today on Urticaria in children. What would you have this team go for?
0: What is the causative agent? What really causes this disease? So I think if we can, you know, point out what is the cause of the disease, it might not be one, it might be several things, but then we could have a targeted therapy. So I would go to see what really causes this disease, and then we can move forward.
1: Fantastic. Uh, I love that Um, People, let's say goodbye to Vicky, v- Vicky from the UK in Athens. Thank you so much, Vicky, for being here with us and Thank answering all much. these questions. Yeah. And that, folks, brings us to the end of yet another episode of All Things Urticaria, your podcast by the Urticaria Centers of Reference and Excellence. Many of these episodes are online. Go check them out. More are coming. If you have ideas, questions that you would like us to talk about, do send them to us. We will be happy to have you back for All Things Urticaria coming soon. Until then, stay safe, be well. Bye-bye.
0: Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.